Welcome to Celtics Beat. It's Ty Ray and Nick Gelso. Happy Saturday, everybody. The Celtics season. Oh, Nick. Mercifully, it has come to an end. The Celtics finished the year, what, 25 and 57? That's right. That's right. Third worst record in franchise history. Ty, it's funny, though. As much as it was painful to watch this team at times this season, it's weird because the season flew by, in my opinion. It went by so fast. Like, it was like blink, and it was time for them to not make the playoffs. Thank God. I still... I still remember opening night at the Garden. You were at the game. The Celtics had, what, a 26, 24-point lead on the worst team in the NBA, the Milwaukee Bucks, Mm -hmm. and somehow let the lead slip away. Wow, was that game symbolic of this entire season? How many times did the Celtics have huge leads and squander them? Ty, that was the one and only game I've ever and I attended that game as a fan, not as a member of the media, mainly because it's a tradition, as you know, to for me to kind of take a couple guys from our long term staff and and take them out to the garden. So it was Backy, myself, I believe B. Paul, and uh, a couple other guys, and that was the only game since I've been going to Boston Garden or Fleet Center slash TD Garden that I ever left early. I even stayed during Game 3 of the Cavs-Celtics series in 2010, uh, 9-10, where LeBron went crazy and they blew the Celtics out by like 40 points. I, I stayed until the end of that game. It was like me, Matt Rory, and Aztec Geno. The rest of the gym was, was empty. <laughs> but I left early in the opening night this year because it just, to me, it was not worth my time. It was just, like I said, a harbinger of things to come and indicative how the rest of the season went because the team, I will say this, they played hard most nights. I think Brad Stevens got maximum effort out of the team that he was handed throughout the season. Now, you and I have definitely had our differences. In person. About, in person, <laughs> yes. Things have gotten rather heated between you and in I. In person. person. And we only met once. so. <laughs> <laughs> and, yes, this was the topic of conversation yeah, of when course. we met. was Brad Stevens. <laughs> I'm really curious to get the take of our guest today on Celtics Speed, Steve Bullpett, a legend from the Boston Herald. He's covered the Celtics for more than, what, two decades, Nick? Since 1985. So he's been there from Casey Jones wow. and Larry Bird through Jimmy Rogers, Chris Ford, and into the, the despicable 90s. You know, Anybody who could sit through the ML Carr era. Yeah. Could you imagine oh what that God. was like? I mean, you know, he'd be waving towels instead of calling plays. I liked ML as a player, not so much as a coach. Uh, as coach. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. That was probably the only years I ever – and there were a lot of lean years, you know, too. You lived through them as well. And that was probably the only years that I shut down. I, I just couldn't watch anymore. It was too embarrassing. Yeah, it was just awfully painful. And I, I think maybe, you know, you wanted to see ML do well. You know, he loves the guys, but, man, it was bad. It was really bad. And that – was not the case this year. Yes, I said that the team had these epic collapses and lost a lot of big leads and obviously a lot of games, but I never felt it was like the ML Carr era. I never thought it was like the Philadelphia 76ers this year or felt like it was those old Celtics teams that you could make an argument that tanked. It wasn't the case this year. I think the team 
got maximum effort out of their players, and Brad Stevens did the best that he could. So I'm really interested to get Olpet's take on what he thinks of Stevens as an NBA coach. Does he have the chops? You have your opinion. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, let's see, I I took your opinion, I take your opinions and and the opinions of our analysts on the network to heart, and I legitimately did not mention Brad Stevens in a negative fashion until – the very end of the season. You know, I'm interested to Steve's opinion on it, um, Steve Bullpet, that is, and, and uh, shall we go to him? Let's do it. Let's bring Steve Bullpet on the line, the Celtics beat writer for the Boston Herald. How you doing, sir? Yeah, so let's go over the Celtics season here. Did it meet your expectations? Did they play as well as you thought they might? I think it's about to what people expected. Um, I think people looking at like a max of around 30 wins or something like that. And, they, you know, they came in the ballpark. Uh, uh, he knew to start. His capabilities were, and they pretty much lived up to or, or down to that, whichever your view is. As someone who covers the Celtics, it's your beat. How challenging is it for someone like yourself to cover the team during a season like this one? Um, it's... It's not really, you know, um, different. It's like it's different, but it's it's not a big deal. Um, you know, in, in, it was interesting because in previous years, with the older roster, the basic story was you know you're going through you know, 82 regular season games, and it's just well, get to the postseason. If the team gets to the postseason healthy, that's all that matters. And here there were. You know, you, you, you had to keep an eye on guys' development, you know, from, from night to night and week to week. You know, is Kelly Olenek better now than he was last month? How is he different? Um, are guys picking up what they're supposed to pick up? Uh, there are, I think, you know, perhaps more issues to cover. In some ways, it's almost like covering the game within the game, right? Sure. I mean, you you know, you've got to – and it's hard because – you're watching a guy, and he may make a pass that, uh, you know, uh, goes to no one, but you've got to figure, was he expecting someone to cut? So everything you, you watch and, and cover has to be taken in context. And, you know, you can be watching some real bad basketball some night, and you've got to, again, before you, um, you know, start typing on the keyboard – uh, add in perspective because that's what uh, you know. I think everyone's looking for that. I think fans, as they were watching this season, weren't just watching for the W and the L. It was uh, you know looking at this team text in the picture. Yeah, how many times did you have to change your story this year? I mean, I think about all those games where the Celtics had these big leads and then they would collapse. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, <clears throat> thankfully we're. We're on uh, computers now because if we were in the billion years ago old days where you'd have to actually type on paper, we would have uh, killed a lot of trees that way. (laughs) Well, why do you think they lost so many leads? It was maddening, I think, at times. Yeah, but, uh, you know, one of the biggest things, one of the, the basic point of it is they just weren't good enough. Um, you know, remember the, the past few years, 
the Celtics would play games against lesser teams, and they'd let them hang around in, in kind of fashion, and then just ease ball and think, you know, that's you know, they didn't take that team very very highly, and and they but they did what they had to do and got the win. And the other team would be thinking, hey, we played the great Boston Celtics really close, and it's no, it wasn't really a close game. They they decided when they wanted to take the game, and they did. And I think you saw that a lot this year. Um, the Celtics were the kind of a, a role reversal. They were the lesser team, and people, you know, I guess it's important to have short memories, but that's that's kind of the deal. I mean, you were – you were in games late against, say, Indiana, and really it was just a matter of time before they decided when they wanted to win the game. Did you enjoy the season, honestly? Sure. I mean, it's it's work, and you approach it like you have something you need to get done, and and um, you know what's here, what what can I report, what is can I, in addition to just come. In front of else was seeing because they're all watching the games on television. Yeah, it's you know it was a it was a good year. Um, uh, you got to know some people better, for better or worse. Um, you got to see some guys develop and uh, figure out where they where they belong in this in this in this scene. Who do you see as being part of the future? Kelly Olynyk, Jared Sullinger, Avery Bradley, Rondo. Who who do you see as being the core? Well, you know, everyone and no one. Uh, as far as the core goes, um, it's hard to even say that because uh, if everyone is available, uh, no one is untouchable on this team, and that includes you know your best player, Rajon Rondo. I'm not saying that they're out to uh, shop these guys around, but if you're if you're running the boss. And you don't know what every single player on your roster is worth on the open market, then you're not doing your job. So that requires you to go out and, and uh, make phone calls and take phone calls and talk about, you know, what would you give me for this guy? Uh, get this guy for Rajon Rondo. You have to know that as a as the the guy who runs the Boston Celtics. Steve, Nick Kelso here. How you doing? Uh, Good, how are you? I'm great. Uh, so, question regarding the draft. How imperative is it for the Celtics to land a three or four uh, draft selection? Uh, I think it's important for the Celtics to come out of this draft with somebody who can play for them. Whether that's uh, a a rookie that they take at wherever they they wind up, or whether that's trading somebody. Let's look into into recent history here. Uh, not the, you know, well, some of it recent, some of it not so recent. Uh, Paul Pierce was the best player on this team for a number of years, and he was the the tenth pick. Um, yeah. So to say that even though we're saying well, it's like a you know you want to get top three. The guy that can be taken at five, you know, could be a very good player and an important player, an all-star, could be. Then you also look to 2007 when they had the fifth pick, and they turned it into Ray Allen. So mm-hmm. they need to come out of this draft with, with 
someone who can play with something that moves them ahead. Again, whether that's a rookie or whether that's packaging picks and players and getting a veteran or two, uh, that's how they've got to they've got to move forward here. And I think there's a number of ways to do it, um, and that's what you have to look for out of this draft or out of how, this draft period. How devastating would it be if they didn't land a top four? I mean, is it would it be a situation where? you know the fan base is going to go into free fall. We've witnessed it before. But Danny obviously has contingency plans in place regardless. So, you know, how devastating would it be not to land one of those three or four? Would it be a complete failure? I'd say not, well, in your I, remarks on Pierce. Yeah, if you can get Paul Pierce at number five, then you're yeah. saying thank you and you move on. I mean, yeah. hey, look, <clears throat> if I'm the Celtics, I would love to emerge from this draft with, with Jabari Parker. Um, you know, I'm not sure exactly where the medical people are going to come down on Joel Embiid. And also, he, you know, he's still a project as well for all his gifts that we've seen. But, um, you know, if they could come out of this draft with, with one of the key talents, uh, that would be great. But, again, um, being able to draft the right player, there's – you can look at a number of guys in the last few years as well, as well that have been drafted in the top handful of picks that haven't worked out. Um, this is really on Danny Ainge's ability to have scouted the talent and be able to properly project it uh, into the, onto this level. And that's a very difficult thing to do. People draft on potential and skills and this and that. And, you know, I think fortunately for for Celtic followers, Angel's got a pretty good track record mm-hmm. overall uh, relative to this game of, of finding guys that, that can play at the next level. Um, what he's done lower in the draft should be encouraging the people. But again, you know, uh, you could take a Jabari Parker and something could happen in his life away from basketball that changes his view of the game. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, but uh, but you never know. And uh, you can repeat over and over that it's an inexact science, but uh, but the better scientists seem to come up with uh, with better results a greater percentage of the time. Steve, what is the team's most pressing need, in your opinion? <sighs> this team needs one of those magnetic talents. And those guys are so few and far between them. But what I mean by that is a guy who can make plays, a guy who people think or thought that Jeff Green could be at some point in his life. Uh, You know, for all the systems and things, great players win these games. Guys who can make plays when, when everything else is broken down. Yeah, you can have a great system. You can have great this and that. Great players are what make great teams. Uh, and if you had, like with, with Larry Bird, for example, uh, we all we all saw his talent. And by the way, his physical gifts were greater than people. Yes, they were. Credit yes, for. they were. But when when Larry Bird's on the floor, his man is guarding him a little bit closer, which which makes for a little bit wider lane for a Dennis Johnson to drive down. It makes for 
more room for, for Kevin McHale to set mm-hmm. up on the low post. So having that player who can, you know, who is that magnetic talent, who changes things for everyone on the floor, that's the kind of guy they need. They need that, uh, you know, I hate to use the term, but that superstar kind of player. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what they're trying to come up with. Again, whether it's uh, drafting the right guy or, you know, or being able to make a deal or however that works out. Or, you know, you don't know what, what guys on other teams are going to be. Did you think you had a chance at Kevin Garnett? Mm-hmm. Um, you did. You, you wound up having him, and that's the deal. Steve, what was the one story that you got tired of talking about? <laughs> the, Jeff Green, for instance. I think that that has been beaten into the ground. Yeah, um, I'm not sure people still grasp the situation there or or what, but I mean, yeah, Jeff Green. There was there was a number of things, and it's you know, um, can you build around Rajon Rondo? Well, tell me who you're putting around him, and I'll tell you. you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, you, if you're putting four plumbers next to him, no. Uh, not to say anything against plumbers because they probably, they, I'm sure they make a lot more money than I do and they're more successful and happier in their lives. But, uh, you know, that's the situation. Again, everything's got to be taken in context. And it's, it's, um, it's a little strange. Uh, there were a number of um, storylines this year. And, you know, the only ones that really make a difference are, you know, did guys like Rondo and, Jared Sollinger come back healthy. They did. Um, did uh, did your coach show that he understands and, and gets the game and gets the dynamic? Now, I'm not saying gets the game, but gets the the dynamics of the game at this level, the ebb and flow, the the off court situations, relationships, all those things that worked out well for them. Uh, did the guys that they br- brought in were they able to play? And they did. They, they did a very good job. This. I mean, we don't, people don't talk about Vitor Favarani, but uh, you know, there's a guy that that can. That's an NBA player. He showed that this year. And you have to figure that a guy like him, given proper health, will be even better going down the line after he realizes all there is that he doesn't know, and he, and he now knows what it is he specifically needs to work on because he's lived it, not just been told it. Steve, how impressed were, were you with Coach Stevens this year? Um, basically because of his, his grasp of the, uh, just the situations and the relationships. Um, I don't know how he's going to be uh, when he gets players, it's funny when when Doc Rivers was here in his first couple of years, and there were people screaming loud that he can't coach, and he you know he, that he can't win, and it's like, well, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but you can't judge a person on that until he has the players that are capable of winning, and uh, so. Uh, you can look at the Celtics and their end-of-game situations and their failures there, and Stevens wanted to take a lot of that blame on himself. And perhaps some of that's true. Perhaps he had to get used to those situations and how that works here. 
But um, I think he did a very good job. And I, I just think he did a great job holding together what could have been uh, a bad situation, an ugly situation. What did you enjoy most about covering Coach Stephen? What surprised you? Uh, I'm not sure anything surprised me because I'm not sure I expected anything one way or the other. Um, I just found him to be uh, a very open person to deal with, um, and that even in private situations. Um, you know, uh, he wasn't throwing people under buses. Uh, he wasn't telling you, he wasn't speaking in, in negative stuff. But um, I think when, when something happened, he didn't uh, go into coach speak and, and the like. I think he, uh, he understood what the deal was, and um, he approached it in a, in a way. Look, a, a lot of professional basketball is, is kind of cartoonish. It's, it's not reality. It's Hollywood. It's, you know, uh, makeup and, and lights and et cetera. Uh, but I, I thought that, um, you know, and, and guys will will try to talk around things, but I thought that Brad Stevens dealt with every issue that came up and was open and earnest about it, probably uh, deflected a lot of things that, that could have taken root. Steve, uh, <laughs> I've, been, I've been obviously following you for literally – 25 years i don't know i mean you you always seem to have good relationships with the coaches sue back kate rogers you know the glory day coaches all the way on up to doc who i know uh reacted well with you and and uh and now stevens where do you do you think he he, he is fitting he has he is fitting into the mold as a celtics coach right now after one season sure i mean he believes in the culture, it seems. Well, you you look at, you know, again, it comes down to whether you can coach or not at this level and dealing with the personalities and the specific challenges that come at this level. Uh, you know, it's, it's different in college. It's still basketball, and you have to have a basketball mind. And I don't think there's any question that he's there. Um, and I think he's also a guy that doesn't – who's – whose ego is not going to get in the way, um, which is something that, that uh, can be a problem for people. Um, so uh, having said that, uh, you mentioned, is he you know, fit in as a Celtic coach? Well, right. the issue there is, does he respect the organization, uh, the, the history? I'm sure he respects the organization. It's his job. Does he embrace the history? There have been people that have, you know, wanted didn't want that 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 anvil on their shoulder. Um, one of the first things Brad Stevens did was send out a letter to all the former players to say, "Hey, look, you're always welcome here. Whenever you want to come to a game, come to a practice, the door is open." <clears throat> Which was funny because you know Wayne Embry uh, works for another club. Uh, Toronto, and mm-hmm. uh, I was talking to Wayne, and he said, you know, uh, I think I'm going to take him up on his offer. I want to come watch their practices. I want to get take take notes, and just, you know, kind of joking. But he, they appreciated the fact that he was this new guy and who could have just been going about his job, but who took the – he thought it was important enough to reach out 
and and send letters to these guys. And so, you know, he's respecting the uh, the ground here, and uh, that's a good sign. Uh, again, you know, he, he uh, dealt with things uh, in a personal sense very well, and he dealt with things as far as the, the surroundings, I thought, in, in a very proper manner as well. So being a company that, that covers post-game coverage of every Celtics game, especially in the podcast atmosphere, it's a little more intimate. Callers are a bit more – they have a little more time and a bit more frank. I think probably our biggest negative feedback or most constant, consistent negative feedback – on Brad Stevens was probably his use of timeouts and his play calling coming out of timeouts or in end of game situations, which as the fan base, I think we're so used to doc style, which was great use of timeouts, great plays coming out of timeouts. What have you heard in, in regards to, to those two elements? And is that just a transitional situation going from college to pro and it's something he's going to grow into? Well, as far as the timeouts, I would say, you know, uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure I agree with that, that he used them poorly. Um, but clearly his comfort with those situations will grow. It's a little bit different in college. So just, again, the, the ebbs and flows. As far as the plays out of timeouts, I'm not sure if you recall this, but there was a point in Doc Rivers' career here where he was – regularly ripped to shreds yeah. his play calling out of timeouts. <laughs> How we flip-flop. It, it, it was like I'm, I'm watching this saying, yeah, I'm not seeing what these – and, I, you know, I think there was a couple people that started that, and it became kind of the chorus behind them, you know, the, the, the followers. And I actually went, and there are, there are ways to find out uh, how successful a team is in its first play out of a timeout, and there are ways to uh, compare that to other teams. So when Doc Rivers was getting destroyed for this, in <laughs> fact, he was like in the top three or four in the league Add in terms it. of success in plays out of timeouts. But have, so, so as far as that part goes, you know, I take that, unless you're looking at the, at the hard numbers, then I take that criticism with a grain of salt. You'd have to be able to, A, know the play that was called and look at the play to see if, every, if everyone, and actually know where everyone's supposed to be on that play, and look to see if everybody executed as they were supposed to. So, for instance, if Coach A calls a play out of a timeout with 15 seconds to go and Player A is supposed to make a cut to the baseline, uh, set a pick and slip the pick and move to the, to, the, to the corner. If the player doesn't do that and the timing of the play, everything is thrown off, is it the coach's fault? Is it the player's fault? You know, there, there are things you'd have to know to be able to properly judge that. So things like that, you know, I, I think are almost like, they're almost it's almost needless dissection because the reality is going to come through when there are players here that are capable of making those plays and again um, you can have the right play called but 
this is not like they're gonna execute it not just that but this isn't like a concert where someone goes on stage and starts to sing and people play their instruments there is someone trying to stop you from doing what you're doing so as you are cutting there are people trying to chuck you even though that's illegal it happens trying mm-hmm. to chuck you off your stride and you know it's it's as if you, you you're going to a show and there there is another you know what's your favorite what's your favorite band mine <laughs> the rolling stones conversations over no rolling so, stones or zeppelin Beatles, okay. the stones probably the, the stones are up on stage and you expect them to come out there and Keith's going to play and, and Nick's going to dance and sing and all that and Charlie Watts is going to look like he couldn't care less about any of this when he's playing the drums. Charlie Watts. <laughs> good good description, because that's right. <laughs> but when you, when you go to this concert and you've paid a couple hundred dollars to sit in a great seat expecting the show, what would happen if as they come on stage and start to play Satisfaction, there were four or five other guys that went out there and and tried to stop them, okay, and and like uh, tried to kept breaking Keith's guitar strings, you know, uh, were were trying to cover Mick Jagger as he was making his moves. That's the difference. You've got to factor that in. It's not just, hey, I'm gonna want to I'm gonna run this play. There's a defense there as well. Uh, Steve, this is the Celtics beat fan question of the day, which comes from Sam Lias. To get your question asked on future shows, log into facebook.com backslash Celtics beat to pitch your question. And Steve, Sam asks, we keep hearing that Boston has become a more attractive free agent destination. Is there any word around the league that this is true? I don't think Boston was ever a, a bad free agent destination. Um, Things get started, and you know, uh, if you repeat something often enough, it seems to take on a life of its own. Um, Boston is a great free agent destination if a the money is there to pay the free agent, uh, b if the situation is one where the premium free agent believes he can come there and has a chance to win. Yeah, you're not going to move to to Boston for the weather, um, but in terms of a, a, a major city, uh, you know, it's amazing how uh, Chicago is supposedly a great city to go to for free. It's agents. freezing. It's the coldest city I've ever it, been to in my life. It's got work. I mean, I, and I love Chicago. I, I, I it's a fabulous, fabulous place. I, I loved going there. Uh, but it's got worse weather than Boston. Um, so is it, you know, those are the factors that are going to decide this thing here. Yeah, places like Miami and Los Angeles and maybe even Phoenix to a degree and, and some other places might have a better a, a leg up on you in that regard. But to say you're a bad spot, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not buying into that. The number of free agents who, who really make the moves is, you know, is minimal. Uh, but, you know, the Celtics didn't have problems attracting the uh, the complementary free agents the last few years when they had good players. So, you know, what's funny is 
I think people in Boston are more likely to buy into that theory. And, you know, being from here uh, and having gone to school elsewhere and having traveled as much as I have over the last however billion years, what I find is that people who live outside of Boston, live in other places, um, think better of Boston than people who live here do. It's kind of funny. We will focus on the weather, Bostonians will, and it's this and it's that. And you'd mentioned to, that you meet someone from uh, on the road and you say, I'm from Boston. I love Boston. Mm-hmm. Or if they haven't been to Boston, that's a place I've always wanted to go. You know, it's it's amazing uh, how and it's and this is this is true in in ways that are that are numerable. Um, the head of the Convention and Visitors Bureau, Pat Mascaratola, once told me that they have hardened. This is when they're trying to get the funding to to build the the new convention center. Uh, that they had hard and fast stats that every conventioneer who came to Boston, everyone who came for a conference, that on average they stayed X number of days longer, and that was, you know, among the highest in the tourism industry, convention industry, because, you know, they may, they may finish with their dentist convention, but they'd stayed, you know, a few extra days to, to go over and see Harvard, to, to walk the Freedom Trail, uh, if it's the uh, fall, they'd, they'd get their downtown Boston hotel, but then drive up to watch the foliage. I mean, uh, this area is a, is a very desirable. I think it'd be even better if the Celtics had their practice facility downtown, like or as part of the garden. If you know, mm-hmm. if the, the garden build-out ever happened. So it's kind of a long way to answer the question, but I, I don't think that's going to be what decides whether the Celtics are, are successful or not over the next several years. Steve, you've been very gracious with your time, but I just have one final question. And we heard the comments from Wick Grosbeck about fireworks. Is that going to take place this summer? Uh, you know, if it, were, if it were just in the Celtics' control, absolutely. But um, to make fireworks happen, you either need to get very lucky on May 20th, the night of the draft lottery, uh, or, you know, you need to, if you're going to make a big trade, a fireworks trade, you need to have a dance partner. Um, You know, these things don't get done in a vacuum. Um, The Celtics built their last team. If they had just, in 2007, you had Paul Pierce, you had Rajon Rondo uh, finishing up his first year. Uh, <clears throat> you had the fifth pick. If you had just kept Jeff Green and added him to Rajon Rondo and Paul Pierce uh, and Al Jefferson, okay, that's like not a bad core, but not a championship core necessarily. So, you know, you needed to have the then Seattle Supersonics uh, realized that they were going young and that Ray Allen didn't fit their plan, so they made that deal. You needed to have the ownership in Minnesota saying, we must get rid of Kevin Garnett. We have to make that move. Kevin uh, McHale, you must trade him. And then, you know, so you, you have to have dance partners. And then 
having the dance partners, you had to have uh, the tools to get those guys. Again, I, I'll keep repeating this. People still want to say that the Celtics got Kevin Garnett because Kevin McHale was friends with Danny Ainge. Not true. It's because yeah. Al Jefferson was the best thing he was offered. It was Al Jefferson or Andrew Bynum. And at that point, Andrew Bynum had been it had some injury issues, uh, was not had not played as well, uh, not shown had not got to his potential, which he only really showed for you know, even beyond that for a brief time. That's why they had those things. So they were able to make fireworks happen, but they weren't able to do it alone in any of those cases. Steve, you've been really generous with your time. We appreciate it. I, I, I got to tell you, um, and I've told this to Jackie Mack before and, and Gorman, my my history with this team goes back to the 80s. They were my, I was a fan of, of the Celtics in the 80s. And as I've covered the team, in, you know, in the 2000s, it was, it was, you know, cool to see the current players. But when I, when I actually saw uh, Bob Ryan, Jackie Mack, Gorman, and you, that's when I really stunted. Like you guys are the real legends uh, in that in that uh, in TD Garden, at least in my eyes. So much appreciation for for everything you've given the fans over the last and the bloggers the podcasters over the last how many years man it's it's been an honor to talk with you again well um number one thank you uh number two i i probably disagree with you um but uh <laughs> you're allowed to <laughs> you know i i fell into this business when i was in college and the you know, I grew up around here as a huge sports fan. I'm not a Celtic fan now because it's my job, and you know, I'm not here to to root for them. But uh, being able to to write and be read by people who I know really care about the games is is such a gift. And uh, the uh, talking about Boston as a free agent destination city, in terms of journalism. This is one of the places that that everybody would love to come to because you have people reading you, listening to you, who actually care about the stuff. Sometimes maybe a little bit too much, you know. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure that there are people who are huge Celtic followers who aren't quite sure whether they have three or four kids. They, they need to get mm. back in touch with that. <laughs> um, They're like the Trekkies. It's, it's, oh. it's, it's, uh, the, the gift is being able to work in this environment, and I think that, that everybody you've mentioned and everybody that's, that is around the team would, would echo that. That's been the, uh, the, the, the gift of, of being able to work all these many years and, and live a, a few miles from where I grew up is, you know, is a – a blessing. Well, how many years? It was probably five, six, six, probably six, five years ago or six years ago. I got the opportunity to cover the locker room, and I and I was fortunate enough to have Forsberg as kind of my mentor. And he said, the number one thing you don't want to do is obviously be a fan. You don't want to go in there and go gaga over the players. And I had no problem with that. But again, seeing the legendary long-term members of the media that I watched ask questions to Casey Jones and Larry Bird. I went gaga and I asked, is that okay? And he said, yeah, just don't let them know. They'll get a big head. So, it, again, it's been a privilege, truthfully. And, and looking forward to uh, to the draft and, and everything you're going to be uh, covering over at the Herald. Obviously, uh, you're on Twitter. 
I believe it's Steve. How, the Twitter handle Steve B Hoop. Yeah, I couldn't well, spell Steve. my last name, so I stuck with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's easiest. So uh, give him a follow, Steve Bullpet from the Boston Herald. So so thankful for you to join us for a very generous amount of time. Guys, thank you. Be well. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Well, Ty, I can't help but get uh, sappy over you, – you know how I am about certain members of the media. Well, especially legends. And to think of what he's been able to see as a journalist is pretty incredible. Uh, and, and, and Steve is uh, – inside the Boston area, he's uh, a household name coming from PA. Um, you had to really be a diehard Celtics fan – to know Steve Bullpet because he he's always been kind of the quiet guy. He's never gotten really the recognition that that someone of his magnitude or his impact on the profession uh, probably a, should afford him. But he's never really really asked for it either. And I can tell you, Ty, Doc Rivers used to do the post game pressers. I would say almost always talking directly to Steve Bullpen. I, you know how you're, you're, when you're public speaking, you find that one person? Yeah. I, I swear it was every time I had been in the press conferences or I'd noticed on TV, Steve always stood to the side of the press table. Uh, so if you're looking at the press table off to the left, and it seemed like Doc was always looking in his direction. I don't know. Maybe it was love. Maybe it was hate. But they definitely had some sort of, of a relationship, and, and Steve is, is is a legend, and God, I'm so proud to have him on our network and here on Celtics Beat, and to have been able well, been able to host with you to talk to Well, it's such a great sign of respect. You mentioned Doc Rivers asking the first question to Steve Bullpett. That's just such a great sign of respect, and I think what I enjoyed most out of the conversation, Nick, is, of course, how I felt vindicated about Coach Stevens. <laughs> was waiting for that but one question i wanted to ask him regarding stevens uh that i didn't or maybe a remark and you and i could talk about it a little bit in my opinion brad stevens's biggest accomplishment in 2013-14 season his rookie year was getting one of the more precarious and quiz uh, perplexing characters in the nba to buy into him as the coach and his philosophy, and that's Rajon Rondo. Now, that might be a a reflection of Rondo's quiet discomfort with Doc and happy to have someone new there, or it may just be that Brad Stevens is what you've been saying he is all along, which is a, a, a coaching genius, and uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to going into season two with Stevens, Ty, with an open mind. And I think you, you know that I do take an open mind approach to most of everything. Oh, I do. And I think that we need to give Stevens a little of the benefit of the doubt yeah. just because he was handed a mess. Yeah. Let's be honest. This season was an absolute mess. Players came and went and there were injuries. I mean, let's think about it. I started the year thinking we were going to have uh, – the Celtics were going to have Rajon Rondo, Avery Bradley – Jeff Green, everybody healthy at the same time with a chance to win 30 to 35 games and maybe challenge for the 8th or 7th seed. That never happened. Yeah, That never, ever happened. So instead we got Courtney Lee traded and other deals that were made during the course of the season to change the course of the team. And let's face it, they were pretty doggone awful uh. at one point of the year. Well, most of the year. Uh, I believe since the All-Star break. Since Rondo came they, back. Yeah, they had the second worst record in the league. Only Milwaukee was worse. 
So it was pretty unwatchable at times. And as somebody that hosted the Celtics post game show on this network many times, I didn't host when there were many victories. In fact, I think I can I count the number of victories on two fingers. Ty, I did not have one victory this season. I think I, I hosted a record low uh, for me, amount of post-game shows, obviously because of the amount of time we had to devote to launching Beats and Eats and, and other distractions business-wise, but the, the 15 or so games that I did host, every one of them were, was a lost tie. I did not host one win this season. Yeah, and that takes a toll, and that's why I asked Steve during our conversation with him, how hard is it, how difficult is it to cover a team that's losing? Because there's going to be negativity around you at all times. That's got to take a toll, I would think. Uh, it's got to be difficult. Yeah, well, we know what it's like. You know what it's like in the business world. We know what it's like with different jobs we've had. Imagine being on that kind of stage and having negativity swirling all around you. And I know we felt it. I think that's what you're referring to as hosts yeah. of the, the post-game shows where you really went into the shows. And we had, we made a conscious decision at the launch of this season to take the most positive approach as possible. And I must say, uh, with the exception of the callers, and we're a caller-based show, that's fine, but with the exception of the callers, the hosts really did keep it as positive as possible, and that was hard work. It's difficult because you're, you're looking – Right, you're looking, as I was talking to Steve, the game within the game. You're looking for the development of Jared Sullinger to focus on or the development of Kelly Olenek, which I wish we would have talked to him about Kelly. We didn't bring Olenek up, but Kelly played really well the final week or two of the season where he put up some big numbers, and I was curious what Steve thought of his development. Getting back to another thing that Steve talked about where we asked him about Wick's comments in regards to fireworks. Mm-hmm. And he's so right. It took a lot of things to go right to make that Kevin Garnett deal work. And people forget that. It wasn't just a matter of Danny being best friends with Kevin McHale. It was indeed the perfect storm. It's not that easy to make something like that happen. Uh, and you know what, Ty, in that in that regard, too, as a, as a, a fan and someone that has turned into a reporter, I guess, as, as we are now, on-air personalities or analysts, it, it has always frustrated the living hell out of me that whole Kevin Garnett, thank you, Kevin McHale, you're my best friend. What kind of an idiot would say, yeah, Danny, you know, we're good friends, so I'm going to risk my career to send you a gift. Like, that's just stupidity. It's advertising their it, ignorance. It's also insulting to both Danny and Kevin no McHale, two of the greatest competitors to ever put on basketball uniforms. No doubt about it, and uh, really an insult mostly to Mikhail because Danny ends up getting kudos for it where Kevin kind of you know looks like an idiot. And truth be told, that trade worked for the Celtics. The Celtics, however, gave up their entire team to get Garnett and Allen. So it was a risk on both sides, and it had to right. work into – the philosophy of the Timberwolves, Kevin Garnett's indecisiveness as far as where he wanted to be, he then deciding he wanted to leave, and uh, Mikhail had to honor him, which meant a complete rebuild. Why not take over Dan- the assets Danny put together? Wow, that sounds very familiar, doesn't it? It sure does. And what other people also disregard in re- in regards to the 2007-2008 season 
were the wonderful free agent pickups of Eddie House and James yeah, Posey, Posey and the late signing of P.J. Brown. Brown. How about Leon Poe? It was more than just the KG deal. Yeah, that was the most important part, and Ray Allen too. But there was also some side things that happened to make that team a world champion. And those often get disregarded. And I don't know why. I think people have real short-term memory. Well, they have short-term memory, and it also looked to be a, a very one-sided trade. And honestly, though maybe all the talent was bundled into two players, and Allen and Garnett, Danny Ainge gave reciprocal talent back in 12 players. You know what I'm right. saying? I mean, he gave up right. the entire – had to re, rebuild the entire team. This was the first – this was the model – uh, that we've seen the Miami Heat now follow. I mean, this goes back kind of, it's a call, what Ainge did there is kind of like a throwback to Chamberlain joining the Lakers in the late 60s. You With know? Jerry West. Right, right. And, and Baylor. And and, right. and, and the, the truth is, it was a major risk. It had not been something that you'd seen happen often in the league, and it's, it had also not been tested so Danny could have went into that and flopped royally and had the criticism and the disdain of the world similar to the way the Heat did it two years later or three years later. Well, I can remember. I still remember. Garnett, is he good enough to win a championship? Mm -hmm. Ray Allen, is he over the hill? Does Pierce have a good attitude? I could go on and on about the storylines from that year prior to the season actually taking off that season. Uh, it was a pretty special year. So for fans wanting to replicate that, it takes, like I said, almost the perfect storm. So please keep that in mind and be patient as Danny Ainge tries to put back together a team to go after Banner 18. Celtics fans, are you tired of five-second sound bites? I am. It is hard to find a full-length video on any of the big boys uh, out there on the World Wide Web. But look no further. CLNS Radio's YouTube channel has it all. Exclusive content unedited from the locker room at TD Garden and much more. Subscribe today at www.youtube.com slash CLNS Radio. And Ty, I don't know, I know you haven't been well, but I don't know if you checked out Jared's best of the locker room, the Celtics locker room for the 2000s. Talking about Jared Weiss. Yes. Yeah, it's great and, stuff. And, uh, he, he posted last night, it's on clnsradio.com, I think it's over at celticsblog.com too, uh, a, a video compilation of some of the, the funniest, the freakiest, and uh, the most touching moments from what was really a, a very touching year when you think about KG and Garnett coming back, Doc in particular, his, his speech at the podium was so touching. Anyway, uh, that compilation is over at the CLNS Radio YouTube channel as well, youtube.com slash CLNS Radio. And don't forget to follow us on social media if you're on Facebook and Twitter and who isn't. The real question is, why aren't you liking CLNS Radio or following CLNS Radio? Do it now. Interact with CLNS and get the latest updates on CLNS programming and more. Interact with CLNS on social media today. I am Coog88. And I am CLNS underscore Nick. And Ty, you're talking about updates. Fans, get the 411 on CLNS Radio daily and delivered right to your email inbox. The CLNS Radio e-blast goes out, I said daily, Ty, it's really about three times per week, so we're not spamming you, we're not torturing you, 
We're only selling, sending you really the, the relevant information on your favorite Boston sports teams. Don't forget, CLNS Radio is not just Celtics anymore. So if you'd like updates on all the Boston sports teams, text CLNS fans, one word, to 22828. Well, it's that time, Nick. Let's take a trip around the NBA. It is a trip around the association in five. My first question to you, my friend. Frank Vogel in Indiana, the Pacers struggling against the Hawks, first round of the playoffs. Is Frank Vogel on the hot seat? I think he might be tied. I mean, look at Larry Bird. He is not going to tolerate for a long time, you know, losing on a team that just won the Eastern Conference, if you think about it. I remember seeing his face after game one <laughs> against Atlanta. <laughs> that said it all. That's I did so not, Yeah, I did not want to be uh, with Larry Bird following that game. It certainly is not, uh, it wasn't a pretty place. What is going on in Indiana? You have guys fighting, Lance Stevenson, Evan Turner, fisticuffs. It doesn't make sense this time of year. You do not want that kind of dissension on your playoff team. No, there's definitely stuff going on behind the scenes. And unfortunately, a very, very, very good coach has lost his team and is going to end up probably on the hot seat. Uh, speaking of hot seat, Ty, Tim Donaghy is back in the news. And he usually creeps up around playoff time. As you know, Tim is a good friend of mine. And the network featured on Turner Sports today was Donaghy's claims that the Houston Rockets and Portland Trailblazers game was rigged and the referees bet on it. And what's crazy about this tie is Tim makes these claims all the time, but today the NBA responded. I wonder why he picked now to make those claims. playoffs. But it's a case where, isn't it a case of, like, the boy who cried wolf? Now, Tim, I believe in Tim. I believe Tim was right the first time he made the claims, and he made national news. But when you make these claims over and over and over again, don't you lose credibility? Well, yeah, I think it's, the the issue is Stern would rarely, if ever, respond to a Donaghy claim. The fact that the NBA office responded today almost lends a bit of credibility to Donaghy. Personally, I know Tim very well. Tim is a great guy. He's paid the price for his sins. Uh, But Tim always creeps up around playoff time. And I've actually watched games on the phone with Tim where he's pointed out where referees are blowing the game. I don't know. I won't state claims that certain NBA officials are right now betting on games and throwing games. But I will tell you, there is some credibility to what Donaghy says when he talks about the games being fixed towards a certain player that helps with ratings, at least during the Stern era. Nick, the Bobcats have played the Heat tough. Do they have it in them to win a game at home? You know, I, I, I certainly hope so, Ty. I think so. We know Miami. We know that they rest on their laurels when they feel comfortable. And that's, we're talking about the NBA champions here, but it, it has been known from time to time to happen. They played down to opponents. Uh, Ray Allen is in one of his yearly slumps shooting-wise, and uh, the Bobcats are just playing out of the gym. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yep, I'm saying that Charlotte takes one of two on their home court. It's fun to watch Big Al. Oh. I know that right now he's limping along well, because that's... of fasciitis, but it's so much fun to see this player that we saw as a young man in Boston become a star in this league. Yeah, and I think that's really 
where I'm saying Big Al has got to be healthy and come out balls to the wall uh, in Charlotte for them to take a game from Miami. I think it's going to happen, Ty. Recently, Ty, this week I wrote a column on Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett showing up for the playoffs. It's the same story, different uniforms. We've seen it before. KG and Pierce quietly creep into the playoffs, and then they turn on the engine. Are we watching uh, two basketball legends kind of psych out their opponents once again this postseason? Well, I think in the case of the Nets and the Raptors, we don't know who's going to win the series, but certainly in that game one, to me, it was a case of experience winning over inexperience. DeMar DeRozan hasn't been there before, and you get a guy like Paul Pierce who knows how to win. He's got a ring. And isn't it something to watch a guy be silent for three quarters, and when crunch time comes, he answered? And that was a lot of fun to watch for Celtic fans, that game one between the Raptors and the Nets. And, sure. and KG. And KG even came up big in that fourth quarter, too, to lead the Nets to victory. Well, one thing you have to understand with Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, Paul Pierce may be making the shots, but on most occasions, Garnett is setting the pick illegally. Kevin also spreads the floor Celtics fans are kind of, I think, transplanted to Brooklyn for the postseason as we're all uh, rooting for Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. And uh, what was really crazy about that game, Ty, is the buzzer's about to sound. No shot clocks. Yes, in 2014, the Raptors arena, their shot clocks went dead. So did the backup shot clocks. Therefore, the arena announcer had to literally count down the offensive possessions for Brooklyn and Toronto, obviously the advantage goes to the veteran Brooklyn team in that circumstance. That's what we get for having basketball in Canada. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> and that's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Carlos Andres Mesa, Astrovex, and Steph Legrato. Be sure to follow us on social media, our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore B, and you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. Hi, I'd like to thank on our behalf Steve Bullpet of the Boston Herald. Also, a big shout-out for the man who is the quiet fly on the wall today. That's our staff writer, Mark Loisel. Also, big thanks, as always, to our executive producer, Larry H. Russell. You, Tyree, it was fun getting on the air. Uh, kind of a, a shift from Beats and Eats back over to the Celtics. We got some laughs, some great information. So <laughs> I, I'm glad, and thank you, co-host Ty Ray. As always, I'm Nick Gelso, at CLNS underscore Nick on Twitter. And we'll see you next Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, where Celtics Beat will be live exclusively on CLNSRadio.com.